previously on Backstory Scripts. One, he's bad at his job now. Two, yeah. he's a sleazeball. Three, he cares about fishing more than anything in this world. <laughs> Marcus basically tells him that he's found a new lead for the ancient monkey king. Marcus cues up a projector, which introduces us to Dr. Claire, the zoologist. She's like hanging out with this pygmy called the implication is that this pygmy is immortal. And then Betsy comes in. So she's his teaching assistant, and I think it says she's 21. It feels like un- it should be underlined, like, several times. In case we didn't make it clear, he's, he is having sex with yes. her. At which point she grabs his whip and attempts to hang herself. To which Indy replies, don't ruin the whip. <laughs> uh, yeah, Indiana Jones gets off the boat to Mozambique. We meet Scraggy. He's got to have a local in every place in the world. Very yeah. racist caricature or, or slightly racist? I don't feel like I'm the one to make that judgment. <laughs> there is a Nazi officer watching them from the pier. Tiki, he's making a tapestry, kind of showing a city in the clouds. It's sort of like a Garden of Eden type place connected to the Monkey King. So we cut to the Nazi raid. They catch Tiki and smuggle him away. And they jump into their Nazi-branded speedboat. The Nazi Gutenberg laughs chillingly as he drives off with Tiki. They cut and they're on the riverboat, heading along this river leading towards this cove that they believe there'll be another clue in how to find the Garden of Peaches or the City in the Clouds. So that night, Betsy goes to Indy's cabin in the boat and tries to seduce him. And when he says no, she threatens to scream. So he goes, oh, well, and goes along with it. And Claire walks by and is like, oh, what a a wacky misunderstanding, even though it's not really a misunderstanding because she's seen him kissing Mm. her, which is exactly what is happening. Guys, don't worry. If you really like this scene, you're going to get another one (laughs) just like it. Literally exactly the same scene later on. So I hope you're ready for that. It's, it's the exact same scene, just copy-pasted, basically. So the next day, everyone's bickering. Betsy's, like, annoying other people on the crew. Actually, one important thing, Ooh. one important thing, is that also in the evening, we show one crew member oh. who is very sinister-looking, who none of the other members spot this, by the way, and he goes to his room and begins talking in perfect German into a tiny yes. Nazi-branded radio. Ooh. Because, again, the Nazis are only here to follow Indiana Jones. They're not to do anything else. They've captured the pygmy, which I have no idea how that actually helps their side <laughs> of the story, because they've already overheard Indiana Jones. They could just keep following them at this point, but they've decided to steal the guy in the hopes that it somehow slows down the person that they are also yeah, following. It's not like they're in a race with Indiana Jones to beat him there. No, they're, they're following just, him. They're just delaying themselves. Yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> they have not learned that uh, surprise is your ally. <laughs> <laughs> Next day, everyone's bickering. Betsy's like annoying various people on the crew. And it's not just that Indiana Jones is mean to her. Everybody... Everybody is so Everyone's horrible to her. her. Even though she's come all this way into like the middle of this dangerous jungle with them and she's alone and doesn't know anybody. A lot of the time, I know that we're just describing the kind of funny moments, but a lot of the time it is just lines of just shut yeah. up and it is just them ignoring them. Multiple times it's just written into the script, they ignore Betsy. It's just mean-spirited, yeah. which again, for a kid-friendly film, the closest to a child character you've decided to include that Indiana Jones also has slept with... <laughs> 
they, they're very cruel to this character. I, I, keep, I feel like I'm hung up on Betsy. She's just very mistreated and is completely pointless to the plot. So whilst everyone's bickering, Indiana Jones is bickering with Claire about his sex life. Um, Oriental pirates storm the ship. This is this is a clarification from the script. Yeah, the script <laughs> says they're Oriental pirates. I haven't... Multiple times. I would argue maybe the funnest action sequence in the film is this one. Yeah, it's very uh, sword-swinging, but buck-swashling? Am I getting that? Swashbuckling. What? what? <laughs> Swashbuckling. Swashbuckling. Buck-swashling. Buck <laughs> I don't know how... This, I don't know what this has done to my mind. Buck-swashling. Yeah, they, 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 everyone, everyone's fighting. Bets, Betsy is all of a sudden the bride from Kill Bill because she's from <laughs> Brooklyn. And it's like, the only clarification is like, when you're in Brooklyn, you need to learn how to sword fight pirates. Yeah, you need to learn how to sword fight. Yeah, apparently. This is the scene where they feel like this is the justification for Betsy even being yes. here besides the love yes, triangle. Because she's... They try to make her good at fighting in one scene. Um, but this is the scene where the Indiana Jones action feels like Indiana Jones action because there's no performances of superhuman strength. There's no supernatural elements. No. It's just fun environmental set pieces. Like there's a really great bit where Indiana Jones is sword fighting with one of the pirates in front of a cannon. Yeah. I don't know why these modern yes. pirates have yeah. cannons, but... Um, He's sword fighting in front of a cannon, and the, the fuse is going down on on that, um, so it's going to fire. And they're both stood in front yeah, of it. Yeah, and they're kind of going back and forth between one being in front of the cannon and one not being in front. Like, and it's it's fun. And, but, no, but then I this like bit, bit ends that was also bit. with uh, horrifically violent. Yeah, very child friendly. <laughs> he shoves the guy's face into the cannon, and then the fuse goes off, and it blows the guy like presumably in half. And blood splatters over Indiana's face, which it says yeah, blood splatters, blood splatters on his over face. Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's that's written in the script. Again, very. I'm glad they the, they wanted this PG <laughs> for the kids. The pirate king has snatched Doctor Claire and is licking her and kissing her neck, and they're heading towards a waterfall. Not in the traditional sense, which is what got me very confused when I first yes. read it. They're not at the top yes. of the waterfall. They're heading towards the base of a yes. waterfall. I thought the exact which was same so thing. confusing at first, and they go through the waterfall and they are in the pirate's secret base mm -hmm. Scraggy and Betsy have been fighting with swords on the side Scraggy loses his weapon and is about to die before Betsy stabs a man through the chest towards the camera which again so kid friendly uh, Indiana Jones has grabbed some dynamite and has got it and he's threatening the pirate ships basically saying give me Doctor give me Doctor Claire or I'll blow us all up and, uh, and the pirate king goes so what do it which, again, is kind of similar to the Last Crusade mm -hmm. thing, where Indiana Jones tries to threaten someone and the guy just says, sure. And Indiana Jones doesn't know what to do, so he does give up. He says, we're looking for the city in the clouds. And the pirate king goes like, ah, many better men than you have tried. And he goes, well, really? Because we know you're in the secret waterfall cove. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, and the pirate's secret base is actually this water cove that was mentioned in the scroll. Yeah, so they negotiate a deal about like how much of a cut of the treasure because yeah. there's treasure now as well how much of the treasure they get yeah well, the pirate king has heard that the streets are paved with gold in this city which i think is also mentioned in kingdom of the crystal skull like this kind of idea mm. great treasure which of course is revealed to be like knowledge in that film but yeah. they say great so treasure so they they make a deal to team up pirate king by the way is annoying sidekick number 5 yeah, for some reason, we're, we we he becomes like a comedy character, even though he's implied he was just about to rape Claire if he got his if he got his own way. 
Uh, now Claire and Betsy are like best friends. Yes. They're just, they're, they're like hanging out. Because all the way through, Claire has like hated Betsy. She's like, even though she hates uh, Indiana Jones for taking advantage of her, she also hates Betsy as well for some reason. Like just for being yeah, stupid. Yeah, because she's, she hates Betsy because she's forward with yeah. Indiana Jones and also because she's a child and sexual, well, in her mind. And then all of a sudden we have this scene where Indiana Jones and the Pirate King are like trying to solve this thing with a wall. Like a light puzzle. Yeah. And then uh, Betsy and Dr. Claire are off doing, just says archaeological things, which basically says they have no real purpose in the plot, but we're trying to give them a purpose through random action lines. And that apparently just pirates are surrounding them, leering at them. Betsy says something like, you'd think they'd ever seen women before. And Claire goes, we're the ideal women to them. And Betsy says something like, isn't it funny to be 200 men's ideal women? And they laugh to each other. Yeah, and it's like, sorry, when when did this happen? Like, like yeah. all it took for you to like Betsy was you just had to see her stab a man through the heart and then you were endeared yeah. to her. They were being abused up until, like, in the last <laughs> scene. And now they're just kind of like, ooh, all these, all these men. <laughs> oh, they're slobbering over us, these these horrible pirates. But the, all the way through, Claire's insults towards Betsy have been on the grounds of her intelligence. It's always been like, I'm your intellectual yes. superior. You're stupid. You don't. You probably don't even know what this is. You don't know what that is. Ha ha, you're stupid. And the way that she's proved herself is by graphically murdering people, not by demonstrating <laughs> her te- intelligence. She didn't yeah. solve one of the puzzles or anything like that. Makes no sense why she is stupid because she is Dr. Jones's teaching assistant. Yes. Well, she does so say I don't this. know why she's... She has a rant partway through the film where she goes, everyone talks to me like I don't know nothing even though I'm an archaeology student and I do this and I do that. And then everyone ignores her. <laughs> yeah, and then she never proves that she actually knows yeah. anything either. They never give her a chance to actually prove that she does know anything archaeological. It's just a statement. Yes. So they go back to the wall and they reveal that like it's this large cracked wall and Indiana Jones remembers something about the tide being written in the uh, scroll because there is a, like a trickle of water coming through this wall. And he asks the pirate king and he goes, yes, it will be low tide and blah, blah, blah. So they wait for it. And eventually the water gets lower and lower and lower. And they find that the the cracks on the wall aren't actually just cracks. They are a map of the rivers Mm -hmm. in the area. And in the bottom corner where it was submerged is this X. And he goes, there it is. And he asks the pirate king, he goes, that's a village. I know the village. I'm friends with the elders. We'll go there now. Okay. Uh, if, if anyone has been, like, listening so far and been thinking, like, okay, this sounds... If anyone's been yeah, listening. But, like, if, if, you've, if you've been thinking, like, this sounds silly, sure, but it doesn't sound that stupid, we're now getting to the point where the jaw-droppingly stupid stuff starts to happen. It ramps up. Yes. It does ramp up as it goes on. Also, I've just looked at the recording time. Uh-huh. It's going to be a long one. We're about two-thirds of the th- way through the script, though. Jeez, we are, actually. Yeah, so we, it'll probably yeah, we have average out at, like, two hours. I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> um, uh, so now they are, they head off again. I think they go off in a boat and then a cab. They're driving. So I guess they took... I guess Scraggy put his taxi on the boat. Yeah, the taxi was on the boat. They do mention right. that. They, they drive off in Scraggy's taxi, which is not a taxi, uh, and they, they go off into the towards where the X is or the five of them now that all the side characters except for Tiki who's been and kidnapped a few pirates. Uh, like 
crushed into this tiny car. Yeah, and the pirates are, like, on top of the yeah. car, like, clown car style. And they go off, and then all of a sudden, the car is attacked by arrows coming left, right, and center. They try to speed off, and they eventually pull to a stop. The jungle's getting too thick with trees for them to drive through, so they have to get off on foot. Yeah, exactly. So they have to get out and they run. They're running through, like, traps and yeah. things like that. They're trying to get away. So there's a, the booby traps, scorpion pit. Someone falls in that and gets murdered by scorpions. The pirate crew, or sorry, the this boat crew that has been with them now, they're slowly being picked off one by one. The red shirts. The guitar guy has his guitar, like, crushed by a trap. Another guy, like, they're climbing over a scorpion pit and he drops, like, a bag of coins. And he obviously, greed is wrong. So he goes in and he falls into the, sp- uh, into the scorpion pit. I don't know why I said greed is wrong sarcastically, because it is. But, I mean, it's because it's so blunt a yeah. message. One of the traps, one of the traps that they trigger instigates a giant lion cage, which opens up and some lions exit the cage. And then, oh no, how is Indy going to sort this? And then, and oh, then the worst this. thing imaginable happens. Claire imitates mm. the sound of her lion's mother and soothes the lions, which then start licking her face. Not only is she so good at the lion call that she's like, like, it'd be one thing if she did like a lion call to like distract, scare them off. But she has convinced the lions that she is their mother. And the audience cringes themselves to death. It's another one of these things where Jones occasionally gets, like, superhero strength. Uh, Dr. Claire can apparently communicate yes, with animals it's like, now. It goes from, like, she knows animals a little bit to, to later on she becomes fucking Dr. Doolittle. She's Dr. Doolittle. It's, it's insane. <laughs> and then later on she just starts, like, psychically commanding them. <laughs> it's, yes. She's... Yeah, it, it, this is another thing that escalates as it goes on. As with Jones's strength, yeah. it all escalates. It's like Unbreakable where, you, like, the twist is they, was, they had superpowers all along. It's like towards the end you <laughs> realize Claire Claire is psychic at which point Jones kind of turns around and he bumps into something and it's revealed that it's a shrunken head and he kind of takes a step back and it's on a necklace of this giant chief Mm -hmm. and Jones is like I thought you said you knew the chief to the pirate and the pirate king says I did and he's just he's referring to the shrunken head who is the old yeah which I thought was actually kind of funny like that again that was a classic kind of Jones taking what you were expecting and turning it on its head yeah it was good comedy because it wasn't based on underage sex (laughs) which is the only metric for a good joke in this script you have a very low bar (laughs) for jokes but I appreciate it (laughs) it was the first joke in a while where I felt like I could have seen it in an actual Mm. Jones film and I would have laughed so now we get into the Ewok portion of the script. These tribal people put them into like a cooking pot. You know, they're like dancing around going like Oomba Boomba, like proper like super caricatures. <laughs> yeah. Just to clarify, this is the part in the script where there is one page missing yeah. from the script, apparently. Uh, but to be fair, it doesn't feel like we've missed that much out because it basically cuts starts with them bumping into the chieftain. And then the next scene is uh, Scraggy in an oven <laughs> yelling it's at like them a, it's, You can to, almost uh, imagine it like a smash cut anyway. Like, yeah, like yeah. a comedic That's smash actually, it did cut. Work like, like that, yeah. Scraggy is in an oven and he suddenly yells at them and of course, because Scraggy is, like, Scraggy is C-3PO in this sense, he can talk, he can speak every language like, in the world the, like, and he can communicate point. with them. I get them. that he's a taxi driver and so he interacts with lots of different people so he would pick up languages. He is not, presumably, none of his fares are 
from this tribe in the middle of the African rainforest. Supposedly. None of his fares <laughs> are, 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 are cannibals. So why does he speak their language? Uh, it makes no sense. But uh, and then he, that he basically says the same as they did with the chieftain in that we're looking for the city in the clouds, help us and we can find it. And we then cut to like the evening and they set up like a base camp around this like tribe. Oh, sorry, we should have mentioned before, but at one point when they're on the the river cruise, we hear like a low grumble sound. They're like, what is that? I don't know. Foreshadowing, probably. <laughs> and they cut and that now they hear it again. And uh, Jones is woken up and Betsy jumps into his hammock like, oh, I'm so scared, Indy. And they roll around in the hammock and the hammock falls down resulting in them being like tangled in the fabric when dr claire comes in ah oh, it's it's the same scene from the boat it's the exact same scene from the boat and every time this is happening indiana jones is like dismayed that he's ruined his chances with this other woman every who, single time who hates him anyway yeah who hates him anyway and has shown no sign of liking her and also from the moment he likes her he hasn't shown any reason why he likes her just from the fact that she woman um <laughs> Well, didn't you know that Indiana uh, Jones, another one of Indiana Jones' defining characteristics, apart from that he loves to fish, and that he, <laughs> and that he, and that he, hates, and that he hates doing the right thing, is that he also just wants to have sex with everything that moves. Yeah, that's true. That is true. We've um, got classic sex addict Jones. Uh, at which point we then... We hear like more of this rumbling and Jones goes outside and everyone's kind of in a panic and we cut to a wildebeest stampede is like in the distance and Scraggy, who is one with all the elements, uh, uh, puts his ear to the ground and realises that this stampede is coming to them from two miles away and they've got to like prepare. So obviously this tribe, this random tribe, obviously has a graveyard and so they all run to the graveyard while everyone's preparing and they all jump in graves at which point the wildebeest comes streaming through the village kind of destroying everything they topple over the car and just cause havoc and then at the end it's all quiet and their hands pop out of the grave and they climb out of the graves which i think would be funnier if you didn't explain that they went towards the Mm -hmm. graveyard but whatever that's just a minor point in this script (laughs) they question like what caused the wildebeest to stampede <laughs> and then they hear another sound, and Scraggy again senses the tectonic shift and says, "Like this is very close." He can communicate not only with every language but the Earth itself. I think when you start to think of this as a superhero story, suddenly a lot of it makes a lot more sense. And then out comes Nazi Mega Tank. <laughs> so Nazi Mega Tank so is the is the latest addition to uh, impossible tech that it's exists. It's a triple decker tank. It's like <laughs> it is. It's something out of uh, Metal Slug. Yeah, it's so like it's yeah. That's right. It's it, it's you know what it sounded like in terms of visuals, like the Jawas Sand Crawler, like this massive. Ma- like yeah. this- See, I was thinking. I was actually thinking it sounded like the tanks that the uh, that the droids have in Episode One. Yeah. And it's massive. It's like supposed to be humongous. It's a triple decker yes. tank. There's a, a first deck which isn't explained yet. Uh, there's a second deck which has two large swastikas on, and then there's the top deck where there oh, is the massive, massive I, barrel. I'm, I'm of so the excited gun. to talk about this because this is where the film goes like into overdrive with its stupidity. <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> the appearance of Mega Tank harbors. Uh, like is the, the it, it is the harbinger of the chaotic third act of this film. Then, then more animals like filtering through, and Indiana Jones sees a rhinoceros. Oh god! 
the mega tank has come onto the scene uh, and it's causing more of the stampede. It's basically they have entered into the beginning of Jumanji at this point. <laughs> and, and these animals are like stampeding and there's a comedy scene, a very brief comedy scene where so everyone else rushes off into the far distance. They head towards like a massive tree and start climbing. Even it. though we've established that this tank is mowing down trees for yes, some exactly. reason, they think yeah. the tree is the best place to hide. Everyone but Indy heads up this massive tree kind of overhanging a ravine. Indy is chased by a rhino. It describes it as they are running in circles and this circle's gradually getting smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> till I assume they're just running rings around one another at which point Indy grabs the horn and swings himself up and starts <laughs> riding the rhino. And I just want to remind everyone that when he hid in a fridge in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, you all thought it was ridiculous. Yes. So if, yeah. <laughs> if, if anyone like does what they did with Alien Engineers, where they comment on how we're finding things funny, or like thinking that think we're like being too harsh on this for being ridiculous, he rides the rhino towards <laughs> the tank in a yes, game of chicken. Right. <laughs> The thing is, is that I don't actually have that much of a problem with being on the rhino. It's just the fact that he does actually ride it. It's not like it's a yeah, funny coincidence that it. he ends up on top of it. It's his rhino now. He is its master. It, the, the rhino is confused. <laughs> Almost as confused as the audience. And it heads towards the tank because it thinks that it is. It thinks that it's a rival rhino because <laughs> it's also got a horn, which is the the turret of the tank. And it it's heads towards the like tank six times its size, but <laughs> whatever. The, the rhino heads up to it and the tank fires at the ground in front of it blasting away trees which again I assume that that means that the tank's turret is omnidirectional Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get into that shit. Um, uh, at which point, the rhino suddenly realizes that this is not another rhino. It's in fact a mega tank. And Jones jumps off, uh, and no, he, he starts flying. climbing. It's, it's onto... the same thing that happened with the car earlier. Yeah. We're yeah, using Jones that. Where... Activates his leap and he jumps over, uh, and he lands onto the second deck. I think he lands onto the, the second. No, he lands onto the first deck. Right. of the tank at which point uh, an evil Nazi presses a button and machine guns pop out all over the first and deck start firing and start firing at Jones randomly <laughs> which seems very precise and, I don't, I don't and know this why. is completely pointless because he then just climbs up to the second level uh, where swastikas disappear the two swastikas <laughs> open up and it's just a bunch of soldiers are stuck inside the second level like like the droids from Phantom Menace they're kind of like crouched up in the second level and they kind of hut, 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 like, out. Yeah. And he has a little fight on top of the tank, fighting off all these men. I think Dr. Evil built this tank. Because... <laughs> Uh, and now there is a fist fight on top of the tank. Like he's Where just machine guns taking are firing out a whole wildly. Pl- yeah, he's taking out a whole platoon of squadron <laughs> of, of men on this on the top of this tank. To be fair, to be fair. Those Nazis have been cramped in a small compartment yes. for the entire time they've been in Africa. They probably so. have significant body decay. <laughs> the tank is being piloted by Gutenberg, by the way, mm. with his robot hand. Yes, yeah. Indy quickly dispatches with this second group of Nazis <laughs> that have come out the second layer. And he then grabs like a headlight off the tank and shoves it into the nozzle of mm-hmm. the of the tank. Then the tank fires again and it explodes backwards, causing the two gunnermen to uh perish mm-hmm. uh, um, again very child friendly in, yes. in a hideous explosion <laughs> and some people get crushed underneath the tank's tracks as well yes like he knocks yes. some of the nazis onto the tracks uh, Gutterberg like gets out of his cockpit and gets on top of the tank to fight with indy at which point the tank is now out of control because no one's driving yes it, and it starts 
veering towards where the other guys are hiding in that tree. And for some reason, they can't get out. Yeah, to the big tree. They're just there. They're just in the big tree. It keeps cutting back to them in the big tree. No reason why. It, if, if anything, I think it's just to transition. I think it's just to transition the action scenes for the tank because there's no plausible way that could actually work. <laughs> so they just cut to the tree whenever Jones needs to apparate to another part of this giant mechanism. <laughs> so they spot that the tank is coming for them, but still just hang out in the tree stubbornly, yeah, like just there. I'm not moving for you. And then a biplane. Which is yeah, I've only just the moment you mentioned it, I remembered. Which is the absolute so. So they're on top of this Jones. He's on top of the mega tank fighting robot arm Nazi, and a biplane comes down. And the biplane, do you think what does the biplane do? Does it a try to shoot Jones, or does it b try to hit him with the wheels of the plane? Never mind the fact that he's on the ground. Well, he's on top of a tank. It's B, obviously. They si- try to sideswipe him. fighting with his captain. They fly low. They try to hit him. Like, the wheels graze him. And and then uh, Jones grabs the machine gun arm and points it at the plane, shooting down the plane. Uh, the plane collapses. Because he's got his arm and he's apprehended him, he just sort of subdues Gutenberg. And then they have yeah. him as a prisoner. But before that, the tank either brushes or somehow crashes into the tree that everyone's hanging into and it starts veering over the edge of this ravine that it's by the side of at which point Superman leaps down from the from the mega tank wraps his whip around the tree <laughs> this is when Jones gets his you know the winter soldier yeah. where he grabs the helicopter this is basically the same scene it's, it's further than that this is when Spider-Man holds the ferry together yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because the thing is, is that this is a, they've described this as a massive tree. Bear in mind, we have Scraggy, Betsy, the Pirate King, and um, Dr. Claire. Uh, and Jones somehow grabs this massive tree. With his very dexterous yeah. whip that has real good purchase on everything that he needs to grab <laughs> and, and hold in this. Whips, whips are not the same as lassoes. I want to point, like, a whip is designed exclusively for whipping. It is not to <laughs> grab or manipulate objects. I have no problem with grabbing things because they did that in the original and it's just fun. But the thing is it's that I have no problem with him wrapping it around the tree. I have all the problem with the fact that he lifts up this gargantuan <laughs> tree and it describes it. It's really like, it is describing, again, I think of another scene, the oil rig scene from like Man of Steel vaguely. Mm. It's like it describes him like veins popping, muscles flexing. Like it's really yeah. getting really up in him. <laughs> like really, really. <laughs> They really want you to feel that Jones is somehow defying human... Like he's, he is the epitome of superhuman strength. And they all jump off the tree. There's a moment in Resident Evil 5 where one of the ultra-badass men who's got, like, obscene biceps to the point where, like, they're bigger than any other part of his body. He's just, he's just biceps with other things attached. Yeah. Beats up a boulder... Like, he punches a boulder out of the way, and that's, like, regarded as the moment that, in, that Resident Evil, like, lost all credibility. And, like, moved away right. from being a horror series because Hyper Muscle Man beat up a boulder. This reminded me of that. Yeah, and they, they kind of all jump off, and now they, they've stopped, so they've knocked out the Nazi officer, and they've won the battle, effectively. And now they have Tiki, and so they know where to head to next. Uh, uh, Tiki, sorry, in this village was this mirror. 
and they have no idea what the mirror is useful for. They then go back into the cockpit of the tank and they show Tiki the mirror and Tiki is really excited and he props it up facing towards nearby mountain range. And they notice that in the reflection in the mirror, you can see a city above the clouds in the reflection of the mirror. Yep. And they realize that's where they've got to head to. And then they head off in the mega tank. Jones is just kind of in the front. Now is another scene where we can really discuss like the romantic uh, troubles of this group. They have like a, a bit of a heart to heart while they're going up the mountain in the tank. And, and while at the same time, there is the officer is tied up beside them and behind them, Scraggy and the Pirate King are playing a game where it's described as the hardest game you'll ever play. And they do one round and Scraggy loses. And he says, OK, that's a practice round. And the Pirate King goes, no, you bet body parts in this game. I want your eyes. And they fight for a bit. That's just to establish that these guys now have a thing between one another mm. that should hopefully be resolved later on in the film. Okay. Indiana Jones notices that they are being pursued by a Nazi convoy led by Mephisto, who, in case you forgot, was Gutenberg's uh, emperor, for lack of a better word. Gutenberg is the main villain for the most yes, part. Yes, he's the main villain, even though he's the second in command yes. of this like Nazi outfit. But Mephisto is in pursuit with like a big convoy of tanks and it, it describes like all of the ridiculous G.I. Joe shit that they have. And so Indiana Jones uses the tank, fires it at the mountain peak to cause an avalanche. Yeah, they reach the top of the mountain and the clouds kind of surround them and there are <laughs> there are shadowy figures on either side and they start throwing boulders at the tank and they just keep going. They just keep going for some unknown reason, uh, as in the tank just keeps on rolling and eventually they stop and it's revealed that the mysterious figures are gorillas. <sighs> They're gorillas. The gorillas are about to attack when uh, Tiki gets in the way and they all like, they stop because they worship the pygmies. Yeah, and he communicates with the gorillas and basically says, stop, these people are wait, okay. Wait, 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 You've simplified that greatly. What actually happens is he talks to the gorillas and then he translates into gorilla and then Scraggy translates Tiki's gorilla translation into English. For some <laughs> reason, we need to have a three-way translation to get what the gorillas yes. are. Because the gorillas are speaking, by the way. They are conveying fully formed sentences. Like, yeah, they're grunting, but Tiki is interpreting fully fully formed sentences and, like, human-like rationales from these gorillas. The gorillas are happy because their prince has returned. Because Tiki is the prince. Yes. Oh, uh, incidentally, now that we've announced that this city is populated by by like humanoid gorillas this is the point for me to uh, bring up how was this going to be made back in the 90s yeah now that we have gorillas that have to engage in dialogue scenes and mega tanks i just kind of assumed it was like uh planet of the apes like yeah. the original planet of the apes style like suits i don't know again it just so much of this thing is unfeasible <laughs> and then there's the moats of this city have sharks in them it's just yeah they go through the city walls and again like the the guards are happy that their prince has arrived they go past the moat they go into the city and there's like a giant procession some are pygmies some are gorillas and the pygmies are kind of like the citizens and the gorillas are like the guards i suppose like the mm -hmm. army 
of some form. Um, and everyone is cheering and happy because this, because the, the prince has returned and the king of the pygmies, not the monkey king, the king of the pygmies, comes <laughs> forward and is very happy to see his son again. The evil Nazi uh, that has been kind of, he's, he's just been tagging along. They brought their hostage along because why not? He uses his machine gun arm. Yeah, he concealed a bullet. He was, he was hiding a bullet and he inserts it into it. He inserts it into like his finger and then shoots the king of the pygmies. Everyone's like yeah. immediately panicked and Indiana Jones like rushes in to like beat up the Nazi when all of the pygmies and all of the gorillas stop him. They prevent stop him. Stop Indiana like, Jones. Yeah. Yes. And they're like, what? Why? And it turns out that this pig, this society, which we are explicitly told does not have any violence, like they're supposed yes. to be a peaceful society. The way that they elect their leaders is <laughs> whoever kills the current king just mm. becomes king. Yeah. And so yeah. the Nazi is now the king. It's, so to be fair, to clarify, it's whoever has the most power. Yeah. So in this case, because he killed the king, obviously he's more powerful than the king. <laughs> so this peaceful, conscientious, no violent society have just elected a Nazi as their king because he murdered their current king. Mm. Yeah, he's dressed. He, he's dressed in the the dead king's robes, uh, and he has Indiana Jones's whip. He uses as a leash for Tiki, very Jabba the Hutt style. And then we get to the stupidest thing I think I've read yet in one of these screenplays. The the newly crowned Gutenberg says, Heil Hitler, does a Nazi salute, and then the army of gorillas reciprocate <laughs> and mimic the Nazi salute. Yes. And this is supposed to be a chilling image. Kids this film. is supposed to be a bunch of gorillas doing a Nazi salute. This was the part, this was when I thought, this is when I really became convinced that this was a prank. Because I was like, yeah. no, I'm sorry, this is not real. This is like, I, I mentioned this to you when we talked about it before. There's an episode of The Simpsons where um, Mel Gibson is making like a boring political thriller. <laughs> and yeah. and and he Homer's like in the test audience and says that it's like really boring. And Mel Gibson agrees with him and says, like, yes, you're, you're right, thank you. I want to make a film that appeals to the everyman. And so he gets Homer in to, like, organise reshoots and change things up to make it a better, more exciting film. And mm. this feels like Homer Simpson came into an Indiana Jones film and did the same thing. Because in, in the Mel Gibson thing, he, like... He, he adds in a dog with shifty eyes that's the real villain all along and he makes everyone wear funny hats and play play seat dialogue scenes in fast motion. This feels like that. Gorillas doing Nazi salutes. As we... It's, it's, it's Mega tanks. Mega tanks. Indiana Jones holding up trees with his <laughs> rippling biceps. Bulging muscles, yeah. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and... And gorillas performing nazi salutes it's deranged we've just established that we've one, established that, that chris columbus has lost his <laughs> mind this civil this civilization which does not believe in violence but has a uh, has a, a power system based on killing then they cut to the coliseum they just have a coliseum for juggling which i assume they just have open air concerts or something yeah. <laughs> because why would they have a coliseum if they're a violence-free culture well they also have like tiger cages and things in there yes <laughs> they've got wild animals that they use primarily for killing they've got a moat full of sharks but they're very violence free apparently 
So they found the city in the clouds, but they don't know where the peach garden is. And mm. Gutenberg explains that the reason they want uh, these peaches is because they grant immortality and they want to be able to witness like the Reich going for a thousand years. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. He has that actually kind of interesting... I actually think it was quite a funny line where he says, um, like, the Reich will last for a thousand years and I plan to be alive for every one of them. Yes. Which I actually thought was kind of funny. Yeah. And so he's so he's asked Indiana Jones to help him find the uh, peaches, otherwise he'll kill everyone. And Indiana Jones refuses, which leads us to the Colosseum. At which point, you're probably thinking... I know where this is leading. Now Jones has got to like fight his way through the Colosseum to like eventually find some way to get back against the Nazi. Uh, <laughs> no. Instead, he just says "Heil Hitler," oh at which God, point the Nazi then sal- the Nazi then salutes, and his metal arm gets stuck in the ceiling yes. <laughs> and detaches itself. Taiki then jumps forward, grabs the arm, and because he has the gun arm, now he's the leader again. That's it. That's the whole purpose of this whole thing of this Nazi taking over the city. When when it cuts to that image of all the guerrillas um, doing the Nazi salute, obviously it's ridiculous and very silly. But I expected that to be like heralding in the dark part of the film, where it's like, oh, yes. now now the characters are at their lowest point, and like this beautiful place is going to be ruined by Nazi rule and. Oh, everything's so terrible. It's resolved within the next page. And it's like, oh no, Taiki's so king again. It's so quick. And also the fact that they established that this Colosseum is going to be a thing. And it does, <laughs> granted, it does come up later, but it's only because it's been established in this very tiny scene where the guy loses power because he was tricked into the Hitler salute. <laughs> yeah, because he has to do it. The, the arm gets caught in the ceiling, which is yeah, the dumbest it's... way to defeat a villain. It's just... <laughs> So uh, it's... now now the... Um, now the... Gutenberg has like he's run off because the security in this place is abysmal. Gutenberg has just fleed and he's yeah. ran off to rejoin Mephisto. They chase after him, but he runs off in like the king's robe and he escapes the city and he kind of falls down the side of the mountainside. Yeah, he's not like dying, but he's like escaping. Yeah. So now the now they know that the Nazis, the rest of the Nazis, are on their way. Mm. And we cut to Mephisto. Mephisto. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, yeah, Mephisto. It just yeah. sounds weird. Uh, he yeah, is now following. It's fucking ridiculous. That's why. Because <laughs> you forgot he was a character, but he's following up. And Gutenberg, he comes down the side of the mountain, like muddy and in these like torn robes. And Mephisto is kind of disgusted with him, and he says, "Like, lead us on the way." I think they describe at some point that they're, they're an hour away. And we cut back to the city and Jones now has to give a speech. Yeah, they're preparing for battle and Indian Jones has to give a battle speech to the pygmies and gorillas that can't understand him yeah. anyway. Yeah, we've established they don't understand him. And then he gives a speech where even if they did understand their language, they would not understand the things he's referring to, like football <laughs> and college. Jones gives this very impassionate speech about how this kid that he knew... Uh, was really weak when he was at school and he wanted to play football, but then the kids picked on him. And, uh, and eventually I, no, wait, he, haha, mm. grew strong and eventually became the quarterback of the team and I proved them wrong. So let's go be the little guys. What? <laughs> and, then the, and they all cheer. It's not a joke because I was reading yeah. it and thought like at the end, maybe there'd be like, the joke would be there was an like, awkward silence. That they don't understand it. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. someone else would have... And like maybe Claire would come in and give the real speech. But no, yeah. that's supposed to be inspiring. Even though they have no conception of what a quarterback is, what football no. is, 
or the language he's speaking. I, I know we've kind of moved on from breaking down why this isn't really like Indiana Jones normally to just laughing at it kind of in the second half of our podcast. Because, because it's but just so evident now. It is. But um, uh, I want to make another point, which is just that it's weird that one, now they turn, they really have turned Jones into a really heroic figure. So one, he's an arsehole. He's just an arsehole acting-wise. <laughs> yeah. But then... It, now they are making him out to be not just like an everyman or like a guy he's, that just wants to do the right thing. He's he's athletic. Yeah, he's the quarterback now. He's a jock, not the not the fuddy duddy archaeologist. I, I don't know when this became who he is. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And he's leading the he's leading an army into battle. It, it's so. They've completely detached from what the idea of Jones is. Like, not I think even at this like... point, I would say they have detached from quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just it keeps on getting further and further away from what the basic idea of the series is. So, what follows is a this is hard to follow. <laughs> Helms, de- Helms, this is so hard battle. to follow. <laughs> <laughs> but and I can't remember the exact order of events, so I'm just gonna summarize some highlights. Trust because me, you, you, there's, there's, there's no shit way to going follow. on everywhere. But there are so many amazing moments. So, for one thing, uh, Betsy and Claire, who are now BFFs for no reason, they converse with the gorillas. They grunt and go like, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, to order gorillas around in this battle as the gorillas yeah. start attacking the Nazi They become lieutenants. At one point, Dr. Claire just looks up to the heavens and birds heed her psychic <laughs> callings and swoop down in, this was the, no, in squadrons. I, I, no, I've got this bit written down, I'm sure, because oh, I was... I was so amazed by what I was reading. I just couldn't... Oh, no, I didn't. I just wrote the birds, the birds, over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) But the birds fly it. She she summons. She summons a bunch of birds. And they flock in and attack the Nazis, who all immediately drop their guns. It says all of them drop their guns as soon as the birds start to peck at them. And then they Mm, they mm. are pecked to death like yes <laughs> by these birds that claire has inexplicably summoned i love pg films so we have this helms deep like you said they they break up so it starts off with the central charge jones is at the front with sword and shield running towards the the nazis and out comes a car they just mm-hmm. come out in a car first these two cars there are catapults flying over the wall there are pygmies are on the walls firing bow and arrows at the nazis Again, just imagine this as a 1990s movie depicting it. 1980s? Yeah, I suppose, yeah. This is the Last Crusade, like, It was written in 85. So, yeah, you you might be, like, envisioning something where it's, like, CGI gorillas running around, but it wouldn't be. This is where when, uh, Steven Spielberg... One of Steven Spielberg's comments on the script was that apparently he liked it, but when he read it, he said that it made him feel really old. To be fair... I kind of agree with him. Yeah, like, I can just imagine Steven Spielberg reading this and just thinking, uh, like, this this was what made him want to do Schindler's List. Like, he was just, I'm, do- I'm done with this. I'm going to go, go make yeah, a talkie movie. I'm going to go make movie. a film now. Not whatever this has turned into. And, and from that kind of central charge, Betsy and Dr. Claire split off and they have their thing. Scraggy and the Pirate King 
fight the two on the cars. For some reason, they decide to then, like... Hook the cars together. They hook the two cars together, they veer them off the side into the moat, and then they are fighting the Nazis on top of the car in the shark-infested moat. That's, like, their side plot. And Indiana and, oh, Jones... Oh, wait, 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 And then the Pirate King gets knocked into the water and eats one of the sharks. What? Yes, the pirate king gets not in the middle of the sword fight. He gets knocked into the water, and like you think the sharks are going to eat him, but he grapples with the shark and bites into it and tears <laughs> and tears out a yeah. chunk of shark. Yes, yeah. Again, sharks in this non-violent community of pygmies, uh, and around them is just the rest of the battle. And Indiana Jones now fights against uh, Guten Guten Tag. Gutenberg. <laughs> Who's now got an electric gun hand. Yeah. He's now shooting lightning. He's become the emperor. He's just going... His arm has become like a Tesla coil gun. Yeah. And they don't explain where he gets... Because the thing is, is that if you remember in the saluting scene, Tiki took the arm. So I don't know where he's found... I don't know if it's like the idea is that his arm was completely removed and it's just bare now and it's coming like from the socket. I don't... But mm. they don't explain it. They don't explain where he got this other arm but he's fighting him and Mephisto. It's like a very strange thing because uh, I know that- I, <laughs> The I know whole that, thing is- Yeah, but I mean, I don't know what you are picturing right now uh-huh. in your head for this city. I don't, I don't know what anyone was picturing in their head. But when I imagine, so there is the city in the clouds, the streets are literally paved with gold. It's this ancient civilization that lives forever. And in this, Indiana Jones runs into an alleyway, which is just, why is there an alleyway? And then eventually ends up on the rooftop of a building fighting on the rooftop. And I just think, it just sounds like they've suddenly gone into just like, I'm just imagining like Brooklyn, but just in like paved gold. Um, Meanwhile, the the absolute pinnacle of the script, the stupidest moment in the entire script. The gorillas knock out some of the Nazis. They knock some of them unconscious, and we see that the Nazis are then undressed. And the camera pans upwards. The gorillas have taken control of a Nazi tank <laughs> and they have dressed themselves in Nazi uniforms. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is when I thought this this was this 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 was written by someone who really hated Indiana Jones. This was In case you were wondering if this is Lucas's idea, this is the evil Nazi army attacking a small culture of 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 like smaller creatures. They use bow and arrows to fight each other and at one point they jump into one of the machines and use that machine to attack the other similar machines. But the Ewoks so, didn't dress as stormtroopers, whereas these gorillas... No, well, they wear their helmets. They wear their helmets. These gorillas... These, how, to be fair. How broad were these Nazis if their if their body <laughs> shapes align with that of a gorilla? But that's the thing, is that I'm kind of imagining, like, what was a shirt on one of them is, like, a vest on this other gorilla, and it's, like, ripped at the muscles, so it becomes, like, a Nazi SS tank top. If this film got made... I don't know if there would have been an Indiana Jones fall. They are fighting in the city. Gutenberg is shooting at Indy with his electric gun. Shooting lightning everywhere. Indy leads him over one way, leaps out of the way at the last moment, and he shoots a, f- a fountain, which mm-hmm. means that the water like causes a short circuit and causes him to fry himself and, uh, and explode. At which point now it's just Mephisto, which has literally only had two scenes so far where he's just yelling at his subordinates but fine now he's the last baddie they run into the Colosseum (laughs) and it's kind of like a cat and mouse thing at the beginning like Indy doesn't know where he is I didn't understand what happened here I don't know what happened to Mephisto so maybe you could clear it up 
Yes. So Mephisto, like there is a, for some reason, again, because it's it's a it's a it's a classic coliseum in this non-violent community. There's a tiger pit in the middle. Mephisto somehow he's got up in the seats and he shoots a bit of string that releases these barrels into the arena, Donkey Kong style. Jones is like he he's running and he has to run away from the barrel and he has a choice. Like he can either dive into the lion pit or be hit by a barrel and he jumps into the lion pit and thankfully there are like bars above the lion pit so he's he was lucky and the barrels go over his head he turns around and he's climbing out and he gets shot by Mephisto because Mephisto has now come towards him and he shoots him Jones then aims at him but then aims away and shoots and you think like oh he's missed right Jones collapses backwards back into the lion pit and he's on the bars Mephisto stands over him and he shoots again, Jones rolls out the way, and it hits the lock on the iron bars, and the iron bars swing down, and Jones is holding over, he's swinging over the lion pit, above the lines, at which point then it reveals that Jones actually shot the last bit, holding back this the last like barrel. This is like fucking mousetrap, this yeah. is so convoluted. And the bar- last barrel rolls down, just as Mephisto's about to shoot him again, and it knocks Mephisto, and he falls down into the lion pit. Jones climbs back out, stands up in the Colosseum, and then collapses from the bullet wound. At which point, yeah, the battle is over, they're all kind of happy, and then they hear Tiki weeping. (laughs) Which, he's already faced the death of his father. Tiki's having a very, uh, like, he's having an ordeal. Very emotional day. They have a funeral for Jones, and they, they put his body on a stretcher, and they go towards, they go to a massive wall full of cracks. Again, kind of similar to the one in the waterfall and the cracks start opening up and they reveal a giant staircase, stairway to heaven. Mm -hmm. And they go up the stairway with the corpse of Jones like in a stretcher, along with the corpses of all the pygmies that kind of died in the battle and the gorillas, I assume. Yes, the gorillas are there, definitely, because of the moment (laughs) coming up. Ghastly Uh, (laughs) body horror moment that's about to occur. By the way, uh, night has fallen since. It's a torch-lit procession like a funeral. And they go up the stairs and now it's daylight again. It's the it's daytime, and it's they're in this wonderful garden full of peaches. Think like Garden of Eden, but it's all peach trees. And they walk towards the base of like the biggest tree, and there is a glass tomb there, and they see a skeleton inside, and it is the skeleton of Sung Wukong. The skeleton reanimates. It takes a few steps forward, stops, and raises its arms high in the air. The skeleton opens its mouth, <laughs> emitting a high-pitched, unearthly screech. <laughs> <laughs> just like just like God would sound like <laughs> so divine <laughs> I'm sorry if that hurt your ears. I'm gonna have to t- turn the volume down on that. Continue. <laughs> so after, after after God does that, what does what does he do? An, an ectoplasmic green smoke seeps from the skeleton's fingers slowly. I can do it. I've got it. It's fine. I can do it if you want. Yeah. 
Uh, an ectoplasmic green smoke seeps from the skeleton's fingers, slowly travelling over the heads of the human. The ectoplasm separates into several individual lines that touch upon each of the gorillas. The ectoplasm encircles each of the gorillas' bodies. The gorillas then rise from the ground, hung in the air. The ectoplasm appears to be carrying them towards Sung Wukong. As the gorillas travel through the air, their bodies begin to shrink, growing smaller and thinner. As the gorillas get closer to Sung Wukong, their bodies have shrunken to tiny hair-like substances. And when the gorillas arrive at the skeleton, they attach themselves to his body. And we see that the shrunken gorillas are actually individual hairs on the skeleton's body. They don't state whether or not the gorillas are alive or dead at this point. So I've just got this horrific image of these live gorillas being plucked from the ground and slowly just liquefying in the air to form this god's skin. This god's Ow. hairy skin. Ow. And <laughs> Sung Wukong has come to life. He's unlike anyone or anything we have ever seen. Half human, half monkey. His face is covered with wrinkles. His eyes... Uh, and then it's just... <laughs> Well, this is the part that I really love, is that um, there is so many, there is more description for Sung Wukong than there is for Betsy. Uh, not only because he has just globified his followers and to form his own uh, vessel, they na- he is now described as his eyes are coal black, probing, warm. When he smiles, it's devilish, but incredibly charming. His movements are perky, quick, an extremely adorable little fellow, instantly lovable, but there is a strong, powerful presence about him. He's indeed a heavenly figure. There's so much conflicting information in there. <laughs> like, there is nothing adorable about a man who is just consumed. <laughs> consumed other life forms in order to grow. He doesn't sound heavenly. He sounds, like, satanic. He's, he's warm, devilish, charming, perky, adorable, powerful, and heavenly. And at the he's same time, has, the, abi- has the ability to absorb other beings into his, into his self. I have no idea why why the script simultaneously wants me to fear and also somehow want to hook up with this monkey king. <laughs> why do I need to know that he's incredibly charming? <laughs> anyway. Um, then he screams again. And I'm not going to do it because I'm worried about Harrison. <laughs> He screams and he says, like, we shouldn't be burying these people because this is the garden of life, not death, which actually makes (laughs) a lot of sense. And I don't know why these pygmies have never done it before. Um, They seem to be unaware of their own God's rules. Betsy asks, he's speaking this in English, by the way, and Betsy asks, why is he speaking English? And Claire obviously already knows the answer because he's obviously God. And so all men of all countries hear him in their own languages, which we have to explain. Um... Uh-huh. Betsy nods. Uh, Sun Wukong then continues his heartfelt scream. <laughs> I've never heard a heartfelt scream before. I th- if this was if this was a film, this scene would become like a meme. Like, like you know that bit where Voldemort laughs in the in the last Harry Potter yeah, film. Yeah, where, yeah, 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 yeah. And so he he raises up his golden hooped rod which we haven't mentioned before, but this is the MacGuffin. This is the MacGuffin, which we haven't really mentioned before, but it's like his his magical staff, basically. It's just a giant rod. I just want to point out um, to the listeners, by the way, that Jack is not making any of this up, and I can corroborate okay. his account. <laughs> it's a, this is the point where I, uh, I stopped reading just before the battle broke out, and so I 
jumped back in for like the second half of reading at this point. It, it, I've just got there's such a detachment for me between this script and the last one that I read. He points his like ring towards the heavens, and one peach tree lights up in the sun in the sunlight. At which point, the peaches then fly like missiles towards the dead corpses, and they splatter on the dead corpses. And as they hit the corpses, life revigorates. He says, he says that they're colours that we've never seen before. Yes, I don't know how how we're gonna, how he's going to depict colours that we've never seen. <laughs> Uh, also, just to note, is that the original king, the one that was shot by Gutenberg, was was also laying besides Indy, and they are both revivified. And um, Claire, Scraggy, and Betsy help Indiana out of the grave. They shower him with embraces and kisses. Meanwhile, the pirate king has snuck yeah, off. Yeah, the pirate king is still alive. He's he's just in there, and he goes, and in between all of this, he's stealing peaches to put in like his bag or whatever. Indiana Jones then turns around and he talks to Sung Wukong. And Sung Wukong admits that he's a big fan of his work. <laughs> he's been watching from yeah. heaven. Which is, again, when it feels like fan fiction. Because not only is mm-hmm. Hitler keenly observing Indiana Jones, but now so is the almighty. Yeah, heavenly figures are aware <laughs> of his... Uh, fascinated by his bravery and his passion. <laughs> yeah. and uh, And the fact that he saved a city. And so... In order to return the favor, he gives him he gives Indiana Jones his staff, his golden hooped rod. And I thought Indiana Jones was gonna go like, no, I can't yeah. take this. I thought that was good because <laughs> the thing is, is that God's still alive. God has yeah. handed you this thing. And I got the impression that the Monkey King also thought that because when Indiana Jones accepts it, he kind of like grumbles and says something like, "Well, I guess I'll go get another one then." So I I felt like the Monkey King also expected Indiana Jones to reject this. Like, that was the real test, you know? That's how the person of pure heart proves themselves. It was very on Indiana Jones because he believes that things should be in museums because he thinks that's where things should be rightfully belong because artefacts belong to the people, which is the case Mm. of, in the first film, he thinks that the Ark of the Covenant belongs to the people, so he thinks that it should be public. In the second film, he gets the stone back and he doesn't take it to a museum. He leaves it with the people that worship it because it's it's that's yeah. where it belongs. In this one, he just takes God's staff and is like, yeah, good. Um, they leave. They leave and partway down the mountain, the pirate king tries to betray them. He's like, aha, now I want your staff. Like, our, our deal is up. Pirate king goes, I don't, I don't deal with dead men. I altered Ha-ha. the deal. <laughs> and, and then... The Pirate King takes a bite of the peach uh, that he's stolen. When suddenly the Pirate King starts to have like stomach cramps. And then suddenly, yeah, like you said, he keels over. He starts having like fits and he dies and he kind of uh, withers into flakes and he peels away. He dies in the same way that the guy who chose Pauly in The Last Crusade dies. Yes. He rapidly ages. Yeah. Again, it's it's not only is the eternal life thing very similar, but the idea of like seeing a heavenly body at the end, as well as like choice. Mm. Except the difference here is that Indiana Jones chooses what the bad guy would choose, and still, still gets out okay. Mm. Also, the thing right at the very beginning where it's the ghost and he's surrounded oh, like in the banquet hell, the hall, and it's the idea of Jones coming into a room where it's the old guy and lots of lavish things. It kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of the end of The Last Crusade as well, like that idea of this figure that is perpetually alive. Anyway, and this guy dies, completing his moral arc, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> they get back to uh, the Mozambique dock 
and it's time to kind of wrap up. Scraggy tries to give Indiana Jones a gift to ward off bad spirits, which Indiana Jones goes, no thanks, I've got alcohol. And, and kind of... a, He is an alcoholic, womanising, fish, fishing addict who hates... <laughs> fishing addict. The worst thing. That's kind of his, like, goodbye to Scraggy. Obviously, Dr. Claire works in Mozambique, so she's not leaving, but he's, like, Indiana Jones is, like, looking around saying, where's Betsy? Betsy comes up and says, oh, I'm not leaving. And he goes, well, you're my assistant. She goes, no, I'm going to be Claire's assistant now. I've learned a lot from and you. And I think you're like my father. Yeah, now I see you as more like a father figure, which is just... I don't know how they somehow managed to make it creepier <laughs> towards the end but they did this is how it's resolved by the way there's no interaction between them that actually resolves this it just betsy just comes to it entirely of her own fruition somehow mm. between the last scene which they had together which was in the pirate camp where she tried to get into his hammock to sleep with him and between then they have fought nazis and that has somehow allowed her to see him as a father figure well he did get resurrected by a screeching monkey god that's which true might I, I, if I, I saw her. anyone if i if i saw anyone resurrected by a screeching monkey god i'd no longer see them as a viable partner that's true i'd only see them as a figure to be respected uh, then indeed now has his last scene with claire because you know, you know they've got to resolve all this sexual tension that's not there. That they don't have, <laughs> yeah. And Jones kind of says, like, you know, there's one thing I've been wanting to do since I first met you. And he leans in and he kind of closes his eyes, at which point she, uh, Claire is swapped out by Bonzo the Gorilla, our favourite character, returns the, the, the groping gorilla. And he, and he gets a big old smooch and everyone, everyone laughs. And he goes off onto the he goes off onto the boat, waving everyone off, kind of like a. <laughs> I don't know why this is the first thing I thought of, but like an episode of Pokemon, he's moving on to the next town. He's waving goodbye to all the people he had this magical adventure with here. He realizes that the golden hoop rod is still sat on the dock, and he gets on the boat. I don't know how he could forget an artifact from given to him by a screeching god. Exactly, and he sees that he's left it on the dock. As he goes up and he's pulling away on a very slow ship and his solution is just like, okay, like he just, he just stays, he just stays on the boat and they don't, he doesn't jump out like into the water to go get it back. No, he doesn't No, which is what, it's the simplest thing he could have done. But anyway, but the reason why this happens is because now the final scene is, it's like Claire's room at night and the golden rod is beside her bed and it suddenly drops to the floor and transforms itself into a giant golden eagle which flies out of the window, out into the night sky, through over the ocean and into Indiana Jones's porthole and transformed back onto the rod and leans against the wall. Which you could just kind of leave it as like that's the moment where like that's the um that's the crate going into the warehouse moment. But no. Then Indiana Jones wakes up and he and he looks and he looks at the device and there's a flashback as you as you hear like Sung Bu Kung saying this will be your trusty guide it'll stay by you at all times and Jones holds it smiles and then goes back to bed it's like a sequel setup it's like yes. next time he's gonna have a magical He's going to have a magical is it, it also it's a golden rod so I assume it's meant to look kind of like the <laughs> 
stop that. It's like uh, it's meant to look kind of like the whip on his side, but gold now, yeah. and it can magically transform into anything he wants. I just can you imagine what Steven Spielberg's reaction must have been when he was like, "Oh, this is the script that they've written after I said the last one was too silly. Let's yeah. take a look." Yeah, I don't. <sighs> I'm coming around to your theory. It's all just a, a power play. It's not an actual legitimate yeah. script. It's a it's a way of getting what George Lucas wanted. Like his way of making it look like a compromise by ditching the yes. thing he never intended to make so that he could make The Last Crusade. If you look at it from a pure stories perspective, it's... <laughs> well, you've just listened to this. You know it's bad. <laughs> There's no way that this could possibly ever be made. In the night, pre-CGI. Yeah, in the pre-CGI days, there's no way that this could possibly ever get made. Before some, like, smug dick goes, CGI has been around since, like, 1982 when it was first used in The Wrath of Khan. And Tron was predating this. I, we meant, you know what we meant. Yeah, it means dickheads. as in viable. <laughs> hypothetical, hypothetical dicks. You know what we meant. I think we've gone round on, like, all the main points at this, at this juncture. <laughs> we've now finished the scripts. Oh. Uh... Are there any final thoughts that you kind of want to add? I feel like we've kind of touched on everything that yeah, I so as, want to mention. As, as we said, the, the, main, the main problems are just fundamentally dislikable characters pretty much across the board. Yeah. Um, as, as you just heard, a whole smorgasbord of ridiculous occurrences mm. and unbelievable events and just a, a general lack of understanding of what indiana jones is supposed to be it's supposed to be adventures it's supposed to be puzzle solving it is not massive open scale even if the battle wasn't silly massive battles still aren't an indiana jones thing the general structure of the film is lucas's idea and then the individual scenes within that are chris columbus and also betsy is entirely chris columbus as well as um just yeah just the individual scenes and huh it's to to give it some credit, as we mentioned, there are some fun little bits in the action, like that bit with the yeah, cannon. Yeah, that's. A, I think that the and the general pacing and the construction of the events, the way that events like lead into each other and things like that, is all fine. It's just the problem yeah. is just the sequence of events itself. It reads very easily. It, that, I'll yes. give it that. Like it does go pretty quickly, and it, yeah, it just it flows very well, and it flows. It's like it's got the structure of the of the film like down as in like it's yeah. it's just not a very good film but it's still yeah. like it flows from one scene to the other which is i think is this, you could say the same for like kingdom of the crystal skull like there isn't really too many lagging moments in that it's just that no. people don't like it's, it's got where propulsion. it leads to yeah exactly as all these films do like the classic adventure films because they're following like classic structures but this i think like it doesn't go too far from that and it's no like boring bits Oh no no no! I was enjo- I was enjoying reading it, but not not for the reasons that that were intended. And again, like it's the kind of thing where it feels kind of, on one hand, cruel to be picking apart what was a first draft of something, but on the other hand, I also think you you kind of look say, "Oh, this is ridiculous," but there are a lot of ideas that have made it through to Lucas's films. So the speedboat chase is like one aspect that completely just made it into The Last Crusade. I think aspects of Dr. Claire kind of made it into the 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 woman in Last Crusade, Elsa, as in the kind of the aspect of her being like a book smart kind of equal to Jones in some respects, not obviously like not a zoologist or whatever. The final battle, again, this is two years after Return of the Jedi came out. 
and the final battle is kind of reminiscent of the final Ewok battle on Endor in some respects. Like I said, like I made the comparison earlier. Uh, it's also, I found it was semi, there was a few references I felt like to the stuff in Phantom Menace, like the final battle in that sense, like the mega tanks are kind of similar as well as the idea of a native force fighting against a far more technologically advanced force and like the things of like them climbing in the tank and using that tank to fight against the other ones what else do i have written down as then and then finally leading to the other idea which is the crystal skull where the city at the end is kind of quite similar to the idea of finding the city of the city amongst the clouds as well as trying to find these like heavenly beings and again it's a like song wukong is kind of described as being in like this glass grave like a glass tomb which i think yeah. is kind of similar to the eventual creatures in the crystal skull like the mystical city as well as like little things like when they're climbing up in the tree over the ravine it kind of reminded me of the tree where they jump off in the in the boat in yes. kingdom of the crystal skull yeah i remember but little things still continue over as like lucas ideas it's quite interesting to see the origin of some of the ideas that went into Crystal Skull, like being in this. I kind of find that yeah. quite interesting. It's just, it's just, it's just an interesting look into the mind of Lucas and <laughs> and Christopher Columbus. Uh, this is uh, as as far as these have gone. This is the one where I think we had to do the least explaining. Yeah. Of what we thought, and more just read yeah. what the event was, and that sufficed. Like it spoke for itself. It's an interesting one. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> I think this is a good point to wrap up, right? Unless, do you have any other points? No. No? Good. Oh, thank you very much for listening. I have no idea how long this final episode is going to be. Final episode? <laughs> uh, as in, like, the final to... version. <laughs> it's, it, this has made me realise I never want to do it again. <laughs> this is like, yeah. doing this was your Spielberg moment where recording this podcast <laughs> made me feel very old. I did like this podcast, but it made me feel very old. <laughs> um, do we, are we, are we going to say what we're doing next time? Or we uh, I don't down? think so. I think I'd just rather leave it, to mm. be honest. Because mm. then we could decide amongst ourselves. I do say that um, encourage people to to recommend them, like they yeah. did with Doctor Morale. Uh, if you have any recommendations for podcasts, please get in touch with us. We're on Twitter at uh, Real Opinions, as well as you can email us at Real Opinions with a Z. Oh, that's R E E L Opinions with a Z at gmail dot com. That's because of our other podcast, which is the Real Opinions podcast, which is more like a general kind of chit chat about recent films. Um, which comes out uh, irregularly as well. Yeah, so get in contact if you have any other suggestions for other scripts we could read or just want to get in touch. If you think someone that you know might like this show, please share it around. Send them <laughs> Exactly. If you have an enemy, <laughs> if you have someone that you don't like, I'll probably send it. Yeah, thank you very much for listening and hopefully this hasn't completely burned this bridge. <laughs> what do you, what do you, what's your like cutoff? What's your like ending for this? I feel like I could, I feel like I could just sign off with a heartfelt scream. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in <laughs> whenever the next one comes <laughs> next out. Next year. <laughs> <laughs>